This is Movies, a podcast about the active cinema. And with me today, there is no Hans. There's no co-host. I'm alone on the line. I'm yelling in my living room by myself right now. But I wanted to record a very special, quick, unofficial bonus episode for you guys over in the $5 tier on Patreon.com slash Lowrez because I just attended the New York Film Festival and saw what was the closing film this year, Michael Mann's Ferrari. So I have no qualms with any bit of Michael Mann's style. I take the good with the bad. A lot of people don't seem to like the handheld, gritty, digital camera looks of movies like Collateral, Miami Vice, Public Enemies. We've talked about this on the show many times before. There's a great episode with Brendan from Tales from the Mall where we unpacked a lot of the, I believe it was 2006 Miami Vice feature film with Jamie Foxx and Colin Farrell, which, to be frank... Didn't do it for me. Not my favorite Michael Mann movie. There's pieces of it that I really thoroughly enjoy, but overall, I don't think it's worth the sum of its parts. Collateral, similarly, I came away with a less enthusiastic feeling about that movie on a later watch. When COVID hit in 2020, I decided to go down a long list of Michael Mann films that I had not watched in some time. That was on it, and it left me unimpressed. But I did like the visual language of the movie, the shooting of it on the Thompson Viper camera, which has been made redundant in the years since, and how it has that green overcast that I learned. You can't really do much about that even with color correction because it shoots with that green overcast and you're just going to have to deal. Ferrari marks a return to form for Michael Mann in some ways. Technically, we can take a look at Black Hat as the end of that digital cinema period where he is indulging in a a lot of the new technology and some of the flaws that come along with that he's not as concerned about. Although you can watch the first episode of Tokyo Vice, which he directed, the pilot episode, which is outstanding, by the way. You can watch that on its own. It stands on its own two legs, similar to Abel Ferrara's Crime Story pilot episode which is often looked at and treated like a film because it's just that good but Tokyo Vice is really something special that first episode the rest it falls into being a generic HBO procedural but the way that he chose to shoot and not just his his shooting style is one thing but Michael Mann has some of the most distinct audio that I've ever come across in a filmmaker and he does this with Ferrari as well But if you watch that Tokyo Vice opening episode, what you're going to notice in the very first five or ten minutes is that he's using what would be considered by most people to be poor audio, like across-the-room audio where you can hardly hear the person. And it's this intentional, stylized sound choice that nobody else in a million years has the a, a big of a dick to make essentially nobody is going to sit there and go you know what let's use the worst audio track we got today because there's a good enough performance on there and i like that he does that and similar with ferrari there are moments in the film where you see adam driver walking around and naturally it's early 20th century italy 
He's got a nice, classy, long coat. But you're hearing the ruffling of that coat every single time he talks. It's like they put a lavalier somewhere on the on the lapel of it, and you were just getting all that noise, all that sound. And instead of trying to clip it out or reduce it, they were just like, nah. We're embracing exactly what we got from the, the Sennheiser microphone. It doesn't matter. We're going we're gonna to take the whole thing. You're going to hear all the background sounds. And it, it, to some regard, I appreciate that because he's giving you something. He's giving you a break from the veneer of this very highly polished filmmaking, which his, his filmmaking is a lot of spectacle most of the time. So to have those rough edges appear somewhere and make it feel a little more in the moment, I respect that. So with Ferrari, I full disclosure, I know nothing at all about cars. I don't care about cars at all. I watched House of Gucci. I enjoyed all of the accents in that movie. That's something that isn't really done these days with movies. You don't see that. Amadeus did that, and that was a great, terrific film. House of Gucci, a lot of people don't like House of Gucci. I think it's terrific. I think it's hilarious, and I think it's supposed to be hilarious. All the performances in that movie are so fun. You don't see movies like that made anymore. Those types of movies occupied the 1970s, 80s, 90s. Nobody bad an eye. But now everybody's got to be Daniel Day fucking Lewis in order for you to take them seriously. I think that's so stupid. Movies are there to entertain. And if you can take a true crime subject and inflate it with hot air and make these people look ridiculous and make the actors look ridiculous too and have a good time with it, then you've more than accomplished your goal with whatever that film may be. Foxcatcher was a big missed opportunity as far as that goes. So Ferrari, I'm coming into it loving Michael Mann, of course, having a, a great adoration for everything he's done in his career. There's nothing, I don't think there's any real black spots on, on his filmography for me. I'm not a big fan of The Insider. That's about it. You know, and I haven't I haven't seen two of his movies. I haven't seen Ali and I have not seen Last of the Mohicans. I just watched Public Enemies right before leaving for uh, Lincoln Center. So and I, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that movie and was a little confused at why the critical reception was so mixed, mixed to low. Cast was stacked, too, by the way. So Ferrari is an Adam driver, and this is not a pun, vehicle that also features Penelope Cruz. And this is, she's going to get nominated for an Oscar for this movie. She's unhinged. Her eyes are fucking frightening. Uh, I, I think she deserves all the accolades to come from this movie. She probably gives the strongest overall performance of the film. Adam Driver's excellent, of course, as Enzo Ferrari. And I, I kind of... I like the fact that this movie started from a place of Michael Mann not being satisfied with the result of Ford versus Ferrari. So he was supposed to direct Ford versus Ferrari, which evolved into, was it a James Mangold film? That hack? A lot of people can't stop sucking James Mangold's dick because he did a Wolverine movie. He did a, he did a good enough Wolverine movie, so suddenly he's an auteur. Come on. Christian Bale and I believe Matt Damon starred in that film. Michael Mann... He stepped back from director and executive produced the movie, didn't like the result of it, and said, yeah, I'm going to make my Ferrari movie anyway. doesn't matter. So this is what came of it. And I did not realize just how dark and stressful and chaotic Enzo's Ferrari, Enzo's Ferrari, Enzo Ferrari's life 
was. And something you get when you watch this movie is just how common death was in the early 20th century. That's something we're all aware of, but we don't really, we don't really feel it. And we don't really see it too often in media. It's just you would have a brother, and your brother would die at age four, and that would be that. It's like the Elvis thing. So with Ferrari, this is stunning. It's, it is by far his best shot movie since, oh, God. I mean, I, I would have to say at least since the 90s. The cinematography here is outstanding. It, it's just a beautiful film to look at. And he doesn't gravitate towards any of the digital indulgences that I had mentioned before. This is a straightforward, traditional-looking film. Um, the performances are, are are fantastic. There are no weak points. It's kind of cool to see Patrick Dempsey in there because he he definitely needs something, and uh, he's good in this movie. He's very solid in this movie, but he's also it, there's not a whole lot required of him. Shailene Woodley. A lot of people have been treating her like a punching bag because of her Italian accent. I have to tell you, I did not even notice she was giving an Italian accent. So maybe that speaks to the the lack of quality to that. But I didn't find it distracting, is what I'm really saying. Uh, if she was trying an Italian accent and failing at it, then it went over my head. I, I didn't think it was that bad. Also good to see her, too, because she disappeared for a while. After Amazing Spider-Man 2 didn't work out and they clipped her as Mary Jane, kind of looked like, all right, your career's done. You're over now. She was in The Spectacular now. She had, she had some very good films under her belt in the early aughts, and now she's kind of aged into this 35-year-old, in this movie, mommy type. And she gives a good enough performance. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have anything against. There's no uh, X's over Shailene Woodley as an actress here for Ferrari. Um, I, I don't know if I want to spoil it too much because I'm ahead of the curve or ahead of most people here in being able to have watched the film and review it. But I will say, this movie accomplishes something that uncut gems look to accomplish, which is maintaining a a level of authentic stress now uncut gems has it's it, it's a stressful film once you accept the characters on their own terms and feel yourself rooting for them but i have to be honest with you when i went to the boston premiere of uncut gems and i sat down in the audience i enjoyed it but i wasn't impressed and my opinion has greatly shifted since then i think uncut gems is such a fun fantastic film but when I was sitting in the theater at, at the end of it I was like okay well that wasn't good time good time was much more stressful to watch with Ferrari what this movie accomplishes so well is everything mounting up around your shoulders and falling to pieces there is so much uh, there, there are so many terrible things that happen to Ferrari within the same span of time because he is one of these visionaries he's one of these leaders of industry and of style of taste and when you are that person you collect the extremes and they're just constantly fluctuating around you and it's a matter of time before the energy shifts and bad things start to happen in the third act of this movie i mean really he's surrounded by death at every turn you you get a sense of the car technology of the time and the logic of okay well we want the driver exposed as much as possible so the ragdoll physics of it 
can toss them and they'll be safe. It's much better if they get flung from the car and they hit some grass or a bush than if they're trapped inside the vehicle bouncing around, turning into jello, turning into a nice uh, red velvet pudding behind the wheel, which is clearly not the case by the end of this movie. I, the audience was shocked. I was shocked. I didn't see. I was thinking about watching Ford versus Ferrari, which I haven't seen right before the movie or doing a little bit of research on Mr. Enzo Ferrari. And I'm so glad I didn't do that. I am so, so glad I did not do that because the ending, the third act of the film is so shocking and so revolting. It's uh, I, I have to commend Michael Mann for it. Now, some of the special effects here are a little wonky. I feel like I've seen these special effects on my dear pal G Max laptop in Unreal, and these are these are special effects that probably anyone could whip up, and it, you know, it, it, but they don't supersede the acts that occur in the movie. You you get a, you get a glimpse or two at some car wrecks, and it doesn't take the sucker punch of that away. He manages to ride the line of suspense and carry it into something that is utterly disturbing so well. And I also want to give credit to a younger actor who's in this movie who would probably be nominated for an Oscar if the Academy played it strictly based on the performance of actors and not politics or names. So let me just quickly look that up here. Also, it's just so damn impressive that somebody who's 80 years old can make a movie as concise and beautiful and sound as this. Something that has often been speculated is that Martin Scorsese, who's around the same age, he might be a little bit older, as a matter of fact, has people take care of all of the Scorsese flourishes for him in post. And... I don't, I, you know, I, I think that's probably true to some extent because he does seem older than Michael Mann in a, in a certain way. Michael Mann seems sharp as a tack at age 80. Uh, you know, William Friedkin, he was another one of these directors where he was 85, 86. Everybody's so, directing so late into their lives now. It's inspirational. It's very inspirational to me as somebody whose 33rd birthday is only, only days away. And I'm really feeling it. I'm really feeling like a tired piece of garbage if you guys had, if i release the video of this zoom call that i'm recording myself onto and my hair right now it's it's very rough going i look like jack nicholson today that's what i look like at the moment it's pretty bad stuff but that's what happens that's what happens when you smoke cigarettes and you decide to not take your eating seriously and uh you up the amount of alcohol you drink in a single year compared to the last uh, 10, 15 years. So the actor's name is Gabriel Leon, and he plays the character, uh, well, it just disappeared. Alfonso is what is listed on Google here, but he's definitely not referred to as Alfonso in the movie. I think he's definitely, he's, he's certainly referred to as his last name in the film. So he's terrific. Um, Shailene Woodley, very good. Penelope Cruz, amazing. Adam Driver, awesome. Patrick Dempsey, you just enjoy having him on the screen. Um, what else do I have to say about this? Really not much. It's, it's as straightforward of a movie as you can get. Um, it's probably in the top four or five for the year for me. Maybe we'll do a proper episode on it whenever the time comes. 
with Hans when he gets it at the Costa Rican theater. He loves to frequent so much. But in the meantime, I have to go record some vocals. I have to do some voice acting for Jay Curtis Miller's new short film, which is going to be dropping in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. Enjoy movies when we record tomorrow. We're recording tomorrow, October 17th, with Detective Wolfman on Silver Bullet, based on Stephen King's Cycle of the Werewolf novella from the 1980s. Maybe my favorite Gary Busey movie. Maybe. I'd have to think about it. And I think we're going to carry that Corey Haim starring film uh, into a new streak of movies where we follow it up with The Lost Boys because Hans has never watched The Lost Boys. We were talking about that right after the last episode of Babang that we recorded the other day. The fight companion for Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis's match, which was kind of a dud. It ended how we all expected it to end, which was Logan Paul whooped his ass. Okay, Dylan Dennis back into hiding. He blew up his brand times about 20. How many of them are going to stick around? Probably none of them. He lost. He got bitched out by Logan Paul. He looked horrible in that ring. He looked so unprofessional and unready. But <clears throat> anyway, for, for Michael Mance Ferrari, like, let me think about where I would actually place this before we close out the show so I can juice a couple of extra minutes out of this episode. Because it's not my favorite. It's not my least favorite. But I don't think it's middle tier. I think Ferrari is, I mean, it, it's tough to say, right? Ferrari, technically speaking, is such a well-made movie. And it accomplishes much in terms of that. But when I think about my favorite movies, many of my favorite movies are totally flawed. And I'm willing to grade them a bit higher personally, not maybe as a successful film because of that. So... Here's my current ranking. Oh, man. Okay. This is going to be tough. Just going through the Michael Mann films that I have seen. Again, I have not watched Last of the Mohicans or... Um, God, what was the other one? I said Ali. I haven't watched Ali. Jericho Mile, we don't even count that. Television movies, for the most part. Unless it's a television movie from the modern era in which streaming counts as television, I would say throw it out doesn't count enjoy it on its own terms you want to look at john carpenter's body bags you want to look at robert altman's the cane mutiny court martial you can count them if you want to count them i don't know if i would william friedkin's 12 angry men even his latest movie is technically a television film so much as it is a streaming drop he's credited with the teleplay at the very end of it so and it looks it looks like a televised play exactly that so hmm Jericho Mile, we're going to exclude that, which also means we have to exclude L.A. Takedown, which was Michael Mann's first draft of Heat. Okay. The Insider is, is probably his last theatrical film for me. Collateral, that would have ranked higher if I didn't take away that Tom Cruise's character is the amazing atheist on this latest go-around with it. Miami Vice, that is probably next up. Because I do enjoy the degradation of the video element of this. So with Collateral, it seemed like he was just getting an understanding of what the digital filmmaking landscape was going to be. And with Miami Vice, he really pushed it to its limits. A lot of that movie looks like it was shot on an iPhone 4, which I like that. Public Enemies, 2009. 
This is a movie I, I somehow did not get around to watching until recently, until literally yesterday. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I remember when Johnny Depp used to look normal. It wasn't that long ago. Can't believe how quickly he deteriorated there. Very, uh, very unfortunate. Christian Bale's good in it, but he's not really remarkable. This is Johnny Depp's movie. And um, yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's fun to see that video technology carried into the John Dillinger era. It's good. It's a good movie. I don't, I don't have a lot to say about it right now. We might do an episode on it later on down the road since we have covered so many of his films. Then, okay, this is where it gets a little tricky because I would put The Keep high up there, but it, it's hardly a complete film. It's it's technically complete in that it was released in theaters, but we all know, anyone who loves The Keep knows, it's it wasn't really finished. The special effects guy died. They didn't know how to run them, and you wound up with what you wound up with, and that was after the studio had cut it down. Allegedly, I don't know if I fully buy that there was a three-hour version of The Keep that ever existed, aside from a work print, aside from whatever he first handed the studio that was just a bunch of composite scenes. I don't know if I believe that, but that's the common narrative here, and I'm willing to bet a significant chunk of The Keep was cut out because it, a lot of it makes very little sense. So... The Keep and Ferrari. The Keep has more of my heart, but Ferrari I can recognize as a much better shot and better movie overall. So make of that what you will. These two, I suppose, are interchangeable, okay? Next up would be Thief. Thief is great, but I think everything that he does in Thief is perfected with Manhunter. Heat is second for me. Heat is a movie... Also, I came around to very late. I only watched Heat maybe about five years ago. And it's one of these movies you can just watch endlessly. You can have it on the television nonstop. And you, there, there's nothing taken away from that. Because it's such a rich film. It, you know, It's no wonder that as soon as Christopher Nolan dropped Batman into that well and stole the formula of heat and applied it for the Dark Knight, that that was considered a masterpiece as well and such a big, significant action blockbuster for the day. But heat is... It's up there with all the American classics, in my opinion. Number one for me is Manhunter. Every, every bit of Manhunter is just so rich with character. The soundtrack... They were playing the soundtrack to Manhunter at... Lincoln Center, right before Ferrari. That's how iconic it is. And it was a film snob thing, and I think it's become more of just a film thing in general, the more people get exposed to this. It is probably... See, you don't even think about it as like a Hannibal Lecter movie. That's a Will Graham Tooth Fairy movie. Brian Cox is great as Hannibal Lecter. It's not his movie. The same way that Anthony Hopkins just absorbs Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal and... Red Dragon, which is a far inferior, not remake, but just separate adaptation of um, the uh, the author's uh, book. The author. I was trying to. I was struggling there to come up with the author's name, and I still didn't. Thomas. Tom, God, this is going to kill me if I don't look it up right now. I'm sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry to expose you to the clicky clack of my keyboard here. Red Dragon book. Thomas. Come on, Tom. Hey, Thomas Harris. All right. Such a generic name. What a boring name. 
Great book, by the way. I did read the book. I was on a Hannibal Lecter kick maybe about 15 years ago. I read all the Hannibal Lecter books except for the earliest prequel one that they forced him into writing so they could make that movie and have a template. Yeah, Manhunter, great performance from William Peterson, from um, uh, Stephen Lang, who's also in Public Enemies, and he looks way more cut. He looks way healthier than he does in... Manhunter, where he's this doughy, uh, gossipy Gertie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Noonan, excellent in, in Manhunter. The flawed aspects of Manhunter are still so entertaining and so enjoyable that you can't fault them for it. I, if, I, if I had to come up with a list of like five movies to just watch on rotation for the rest of my life, Manhunter would be in there. No question about it. So, okay. I think... Can I push it out a little more? Can I push this episode out a little bit more? What, what, could, what could I even talk about? I didn't really, I feel like I hardly talked about Ferrari. Matter of fact, someone wrote that on YouTube today. They said, <laughs> they were commenting on my episode of movies where we talked about Survivor with Jack the Perfume Nationalist who will be joining me for my program very soon. Lorez will flat out ignore the movie he's hosting an episode about but can easily talk about Survivor for 90 minutes with almost no diversions. Truly incredible. So that's a comment on that episode. You know, there's probably some truth to that. Because, and th this is a lot of the reason why I want to start this separate show, Babang, is you start to repeat yourself in saying, oh, this is good, this is bad, here's why this is good, here's why this is bad. We talked about this uh, in terms of the Red Letter Media guys, where they deliver a technically fantastic product every single time and they're always the same on every single episode but you just you take in too much of them and you know what to expect and it's that friend you just start to get sick of seeing and hearing from and you don't want to deal with that you're just like i'm just going to go on a break from that for a week i don't need it for a week and then maybe you do a little quick lunch after about a month and a half you go back and you have that lunch and that salad and after about an hour and a half, two hours, you begin to realize, oh, I'm getting that feeling again. I'm just sick of this. I don't want to be at the table right now. I'm going to have to order another glass of wine if I'm going to endure the rest of this without being rude and saying, hey, I have a doctor's appointment I got to get to in an hour. I, I really, I have a dentist appointment. I have a toothache. My tooth stinks. My tooth smells like decomposition and shit. So I have to go have it extracted in an hour and coming up with this big elaborate lie to your friend from probably high school or college you just don't want to see anymore. There is really a, a, a great forgotten technique of just leaving people from the past behind that many seem to not want to embrace these days. You know, everyone, I think social media, I'm going to be the old man complaining about social media. Social media has a way of keeping everyone in your life consistently and having to, having to entertained <clears throat> why am i adding these these having to entertain having to entertain people socially for longer stretches of time than you ever expected to avoid either being rude or shutting off that avenue of socialization uh completely so what am i saying here oh yeah so with movie criticism you know, I don't, I, like, this is not um, something I really want to be doing for the next 10 years and watching the numbers fade away. So it's time to start building lifeboats. And going out and shooting things myself is much more 
rewarding than sitting by on the computer and here's episode 391. We're talking about Gotti again. We're talking about Gotti 2. We're talking about Park Chan-wook's Gotti. That's not happening. I mean, it probably will happen at some point, but I want to slow the amount of episodes we put out per week and start to bank them into this separate program that is really just about Hans and I shooting the shit, having a, having a laugh with one another, talking about a variety of different topics there and bringing in some faces you might not see on the movies podcast because maybe I just enjoy them. Maybe I just like them as people. You know, Paige? Paige doesn't know fucking anything about movies. Paige Montecalvo likes to brand himself as Paige Garcia. First AD on Omega Fish Corp, one of the actors and an actor in Mass State Lottery. Great guy. Guarantee you, if we brought him on to talk about Citizen Kane, we'd be talking about Survivor after 10 minutes. I don't know. We'd be talking about Dime Square uh, uh, Coke parties. That's what we'd be talking about. Somehow, that would be... We'd, we'd get into, like, the Hearst family, and then it would talk. We'd, we'd venture into Dime Square. That's where that would go. So, all that to say... This has been movies for, for this week. This is a true blue bonus episode on Ferrari. Adam Driver, he's gonna I think he's going to evolve into one of the finest actors the way that we see Pacino, the way we, we see De Niro. And especially if he does heat. If he does heat too, if he plays De Niro, then he's literally De Niro. But goddamn, those moles. Those moles have always been so off putting to me since I the the first moment I laid eyes on him. But I'll tell you what. That man was made by his moles. Oh, here's another thing, too, with Ferrari that I picked up on. So Michael Mann has all these little fetishes whenever he's directing a movie. And I laid out all the digital stuff. But, you know, he's also got his WMAF fetish that appears in almost everything now in Black Hat and Heat 2, supposed to appear in Heat 1, Miami Vice. He loves a white guy drilling an Asian woman. And goddamn, if I didn't see a lot of WMAF couples in the theater for this movie. That's not what I'm talking about here. Here's what I'm talking about for a fetish. He has a visual fetish with Ferrari for showing the back of Adam Driver's head and close-ups of the back of his ear and his neck. And they do a, an amazing makeup job on Adam Driver to make him look older than what he actually is, just tightening his neck. I wish I had talked about that sooner in this podcast because it's such a, a subtle thing that would be overlooked by most people. And it, it doesn't draw attention to itself at all, but it looks re re very realistic. It looks great. But you see so many shots of this film start from direct, like very close behind Adam Driver's head where we're carrying out a tracking shot or maybe we're doing, we're shifting into an over the shoulder and we're checking out whoever just walked into the room to deliver some horrible news to Ferrari because that is... What this movie is about is just nonstop horrible news for Ferrari. The, the you know the close ups of the ears, close up of the neck, uh, right over the shoulder. I haven't seen this close up over the shoulder shots before, where you can also make out with clarity what his hair looks like. So, just a little cool thing that Michael Mann seems to be doing here that I haven't seen anybody else do with the same tact or uh, obsession in this film because he really does go back to it for almost every brand new scene um i i really enjoyed this movie it is a great movie it is up there for me with the best films released this year and when i do eventually put out my top 10 list don't be surprised to see it in the top three or four that's been ferrari and that's been movies thank you for listening